You're listening to the Mind Your Own Business Podcast with Stephen Sterick. Today, Stephen discusses jewelry investments with expert Brian Johnson. Tell us where you're from and what do you do? Brian Johnson, a.k.a. Brian Abroka, originally from Harlem, New York, but now reside in Tampa, Florida. Do a couple different things, but most people know me for luxury watch trading and investing and real estate, creative real estate, financing and stuff like that. All right. So I know nothing about watches and I'm like super interested. My vice is like fast cars, anything with an engine, right? Like exotics or I mean, anything in between boats, airplanes, helicopters. And I know that like watches kind of go like hand in hand with that, right? It's always like you see a guy with a nice watch and he's usually got a nice car, that kind of stuff. Explain to me the connections between those two worlds and what you think is like better about the watch industry versus trading exotic cars. I don't think there's one that's better than the other. It's just the same client, the same clientele, right? So the guy who has an exotic Ferrari Lamborghini who, you know, enjoy, who has a big house mansion or, or whatever the case may be, that is the same person who's going to buy a nice anywhere from a six figure watch to a, a really nice Rolex and, you know, from 30,000 to 50,000. I mean, it's all one and the same. I mean, the only difference is obviously everybody can't see the car that you pulled up in, right? If you go into a restaurant, I'm a private guy. So I don't let people don't normally come to my house unless it's like, you know, Thanksgiving and that's family and, and close friends. So you can't see where I live. If you don't see me park or pull up to the restaurant or whatever the event is, you don't know what I necessarily drive. But if we sitting down, you can see what kind of watch that I have. So it's just the ultimate status symbol, in my opinion, for a guy, even though I wear jewelry and, and I'm invested in the jewelry business, watches tend to be my preference. So I'll always have on an, a nice timepiece. And again, it's just one and the same. So the guy who has a good house, a good vehicle is nine times out of 10 going to have a nice luxury timepiece as well. I guess there's also main differences too. Like you don't have to register a watch with the Department of Motor Vehicles, right? You don't. Right. I mean, yes, the benefits in terms of like liquidity or being able to, on the business side of things, it's totally different, right? So think about watches versus, like you said, trading exotic cars or even being a real estate investor where you have to deal with title, inspection and bad roofs, sometimes problem tenants and all the things that associate with, you know, real estate investing or in and out of exotic cars. I mean, I could trade, I could be into a watch for a certain price today and be able to exit it for a profit within the same day, within the hour in some wow. cases. So yeah, there's it's no registering involved. We could do stuff from a lot of my clients. I deal in, I would say three worlds mainly. So I have rappers and entertainers. We got professional athletes and then we have business people, entrepreneurs. So some of the guys prefer to deal in cash. Again, there's no registering a watch when you're dealing in the gray market. So you, you could be in and out of transactions. Transactions relatively seem What's one of like the most, I don't know, rare or expensive watches, something that's like that you really like, like give me an example of like one of the watches that you really love that you've helped broker or trade for that watch. Yeah. I've done all watches from entry level Rolexes all the way up to like some 400,000 rich and mills. My preference, I tend to lean. So if you think about since you're a car guy and how I always explain watches to people who you know who understand cars, I say Rolex is like a Mercedes Benz or BMW. And then the next level above that would say maybe like a Bentley. And I would consider like Audemars Spaghetti to be that mid-level luxury. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Um, For everybody out there, say that one more time. How do you pronounce that? Audemars Paget. Aud it's, it's, I'm not French. I don't, I'm not sweet. Like, so oh. I'm, I might <laughs> even be messing up the name, but I just say AP for short, just so there's no okay. confusion when I'm speaking to somebody who's like really more sophisticated or, or know how to pronounce it the yeah. correct way. But I've heard it, Audemars Paguette, Audemars Spaghetti, Audemars. It's just so, I just say AP for short, right? I so, never knew how to say it. And I always yeah. read words. I still don't. I'm like, no matter what I say, 
it's going to be wrong. I know that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Depends on who you talk to, right? Oh, AP. I'll just stick with AP. AP, Audemars. So you could just say Audemars. And then the Rolls Royce comparison would be like Patek Philippe. So that's like the guys who are in the know. Those are the watch that you strive for, that you pass on a generation generation, always retain their value. And Wait, I don't even, I've never heard of it. What's it called? You never heard of Patek Philippe? I don't think so. Well, I have one. I'm in the home <laughs> office right now. So Dude, I, um, I told you, I don't know anything about watches. Like I, I know yeah. what a Rolex is, right? And right. AP, right? But I didn't know. Well, the watch that Mark had on the June event is an AP, the Rose Gold watch. I'm sorry, is a Patek, the, the watch that, that Mark had on during the event. Philippe, yeah, we, Patek Philippe. Yeah, you'll, get, you'll get to a point where, you know, we, we trying to figure out what to do with your money and it's like, hey, it's time to, you know, time to build up a collection of watches and we'll get you into one of those All right. soon enough. All right. <laughs> yeah. All so right, again, so you yeah. think about Mercedes, Bentley, and then Rolls Royce. And those are the kind of the levels that I really playing. And then Richard Mill is almost like a real exotic. So you think about like a McLaren or a Ferrari and all that kind of stuff, real limited numbers. He might make a watch, a model that's only 10 or 20 in the entire world. And that's why those trade for, you know, sometimes 5X, 6X, up to 10 times the actual retail of the watch, depending on what quantity the, the actual model came in. Now, I saw recently, it's a watch that's like designed after a car. There's one about the Bugatti Chiron. Is it Jacob and Co. watch? Is it a Bugatti okay. watch? I don't like those because, not to say I don't like them, they're a work of art, right? They're a marvel. Um, there's a lot of craftsmanship into them. It's just that when you buy a watch like that, you have to understand like it's only a few buyers yeah. who will ever want that watch. So if yeah. you spend whatever Jacob is charging for that watch, I think it's, I don't know, a million. He got watches from million all the way up to 18 million. So when you buy a watch like that and you need to look, you know, sell it or get rid of it, it's going to be tough. And sometimes you could lose 50, 60, 70% of the value, especially if you bought it for retail. So I try to guide my clients away from pieces like that, that won't retain any value. So if something ever happens or you got an opportunity to make a bunch of money, right? So you invest 300 grand in a watch and you love it, but you got an opportunity to take that 300 grand and go and put it in whatever, a business deal or a real estate deal where you could make whatever return or double your money or triple your money. So I got guys who like them, you know, move money around depending on the season that they're in, right? So I try to advise against purchases like that. Unless you got like a huge collection and you know that you're never going to ever have to liquidate or you plan to pass it down to, you know, your son or whatever the case may be. But yeah, th there are some, you know, one-on-one -on -one pieces. You're, you're starting to see a lot of jewelers, like some of the popular jewelers, pristine jewelers out of New York or Ivy and Co. He's in New York and Miami now. They're coming out with their own line of watches, like diamond pieces and, you know, really, really custom, you know, maybe a hundred of a certain model and they're selling them. But I wouldn't guide my, anybody who wants to invest with me to those kind of those pieces. That makes sense because they're harder to liquidate. Your buyer pool is a lot smaller, which means you're going to just have trouble. Let me ask you this. We talked about kind of the range, right? What advice would you give somebody who's looking to start a collection of watches? So I always start with what your day-to-day -day activities are. I'm a guy that walks around in t-shirts and shorts. I'm in Florida, right? So it's hot. I'm hardly ever like in a button-up shirt or something like, like business casual. So mm -hmm. I, I tend towards sports watches, right? I got guys who corporate that wear suits every day on a daily basis in, in the office. We start there, right? What's your lifestyle? What are your day-to-day -day movements? How big is your collection now? What look are you going for? Is it a piece that you only going to wear? Like you go to dinner with your wife or, I mean, I, I sell ladies watches as well, right? So it's the same thing for, you know, it's just, you want to start there. So it's usually a sports watch. Then it's a dress watch, a casual watch. Then it's like an investment piece. And then it's like different metals, right? So you start stainless steel Then you could go to yellow gold, to rose gold, to a combination of like carbon watches. So we just, I just, it's a, it's a conversation, right? To see exactly what watch fits your lifestyle the best at that particular okay. moment. Well, let's take me as a case study. My lifestyle is not wearing a suit. I own, I think two suits, yeah. one to fit. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. So yeah. So like me, a t-shirt and, and jeans, obviously budget isn't the primary, one of the primary drivers to see where we, where we land. Right. Let's say somebody wants to start with like a $15,000 watch and let's exactly. say, you know, they obviously want to return on their money, but they want to hold it for, I mean, I don't know what the hold period is on these things too. Is it like one month well, or is it one year? You don't necessarily, most of my clients don't want to return. They just want to know that their money is safe. And if they ever had to liquidate or get rid of the watch, I kind of give them a range of where they would be. And if, like, if you called me and you bought a watch, say for 15,000 in your case, and you're like, Brian, worst case scenario, I'll come back to you in a month, depending on where the market is. What can I expect for you to write a check for? Right. And I give you that range, depending on the trajectory of the watch, the history, what I know I could buy them for in, in the open market. Cause I get, obviously as a dealer, you get wholesale pricing and I have more access than somebody who's looking for their first watch. I want to say that they looking for a return. They just want to make sure that their money is safe and they don't, they won't take too big of a hit. So think about it, you buy a brand new car off the lot. Nobody up until recently, up until the big event that happened, right? A couple of years ago, nobody went into a dealership and bought a Mercedes, a Ford, a Camry, and, and expected to buy something for 25000 30000 and then to come back six months later, and then the car is worth more right. than what it was when they purchased it, right? Be mindful of that. And then again, this is part of my job as being a dealer and giving you that counsel to say, look, you're going to spend $15,000 on this watch. If everything hits the fan and you need to sell it, I would say you, you, you won't lose more than 10 to 15%. So you spend 15 15,000 with me, I'll probably be able to buy it back for 13,500, 13,000. Oh, we work on an arrangement to say, look, I'll take the watch back. I'll find another retail buyer. Maybe I can get you back to exactly what you spent on the watch. And something that I do that's unique in terms of like the watch stuff is I give you an exact credit for trading up. So you spent 15,000 with me because that's where you want, that was the entry level. But watches are like anything else, right? You start off with a Honda, right? And as you evolve as a business person or you upgrade in terms of financing, you don't stay there, right? Most people go up, right? They go to Mercedes Benz and they go to Bentley and then they go to whatever, right? It, you might end up in a Rolls Royce. So if you wanted to ever trade that watch in, I give you the exact credit to a new a new watch. Your next watch might be 30,000. So we would take that one back in and give you the $15,000 credit that you spent already and apply it to the next purchase. That's cool. That's nice. That's a good yeah. guarantee to be able to do that. What if somebody wanted to get into it with the idea of making money with watch? A lot of people reach out to me and try to figure it out because it's like popular right now. Like I've been in the watch business since like roughly 2005 where it wasn't so popular, right? I actually didn't pay any attention to it, right? It was just something like, I know a friend, a buddy of mine in high school, family was in the jury business. He wanted to start his own business because of, you know, some discrepancies with the family. And he was building out a store in New York City where I'm originally from. And I had, at that time, I had, I had just sold my first business and I had a, you know, I had some finances. So I invested in his, to build out his store and everything. So as a byproduct, I became an investor in the jury business and I had access to jury and watches. And it wasn't that sexy back then. Believe me. Like I would say like maybe since like 2017, 2018 is when watches became more mainstream and now even more so than ever. Right. So if you wanted to, so I, again, I get a lot of people that reach out to try to figure out how to invest. Yeah. I would say the easiest way is to either know a dealer and, and get understanding about pricing. So you can study watch sites like Chrono24 or eBay or some of the auction sites and see what watches generally trade for. And then you got to expose yourself, you know, talk to dealers in, in, in your marketplace to see, you want to be able to get a watch for a price where you could potentially sell it for a profit, right? You got to get an understanding about what watch is actually trade for. So my suggestion is always to stay with like one brand and try to get three or four of the models and figure out like where they trade in at, what the price points are. And if you ever come across a situation where you could purchase the watch for, you know, where you just sold one sold for 15,000, you could buy for 13 or 12,000. You can have a, you know, a level of safety that you won't lose money on that particular watch. I also have a program where people can invest with me directly. Right. And then we go buy some watches and now you can see, right. So I kind of like pull back the curtain and show you exactly how I trade watches and, and some of the retail stuff that I do. 
So what you mean like people can, you'll take investor money basically? Is that kind of how, what you're explaining? Yes. So okay. in, in certain cases, watches is a cash intensive business, right? When I'm dealing with 200, $300,000 watches, right? It's, it's only so much inventory I, I could buy myself, right? And then I have a demand for and those customers. When you're dealing at that level, you can't necessarily sell a watch without having a watch, right? So $200,000, $300,000 watches, you only could sell that watch after you have it in inventory. When somebody comes yeah. and you meet with somebody, they, they want to try that watch on. They want to see it in person before yeah. they make a transaction, a purchase at that size, right? So sometimes I can buy watches at that level where people have to see them and I will take investor money and give them a decent return. Or maybe they want to just have a nice watch to wear until I can find a buyer that wants to buy that watch. And then we split the profits or I give them a certain percentage on their money. So I do have a program like that. That's cool. So I just did still doing a training course on self-directed IRA. Yes. Is, can somebody use a self-directed IRA to invest in your watch fund? Absolutely. I was just talking to the, the same provider that, that we both got introduced for. And funny enough, I've been using self-directed environments for a long time. And I never, at that point, I wasn't really necessarily looking for that kind of investor capital. It was like somebody who just had money sitting in the bank account. But now that I know how much is sitting in those, those retirement accounts and in that kind of environment, it only makes sense to be able to make offers to those people and, and give them a, a return bigger than what they get on, on some of the stuff that they, you know, just dormant accounts and stuff like that. So absolutely. I was just had a call with Amanda and Keith and we've been going back and forth trying to, where we can make a presentation and, and people can invest through their self-directed that's accounts. That's amazing, man. That's, that's going to unlock a lot of opportunity for a lot of clients for you. Yeah, yeah for sure. It, sure. It's going to really help a lot of people take that money that otherwise would just be sitting there and now they can put it into a tangible asset and either wear that asset themselves yeah. or just invest in your fund, a pool of these investments, which is really, really cool. So, 100%. All right, so I, just, I just had this conversation. It's only so much money that I'll, I'll be willing to accept because it's, it's like a hard ceiling about how much money I would, I would actually take in a, a fund, so to say, or have access to just because it would prevent me from doing bad deals or making transactions that I wouldn't normally make when you got a bunch of money sitting around, right? So we call that dumb money in the industry, right? So somebody who has like access funds or just because you have a bunch of money doesn't necessarily mean that you can enter the watch game or any business for, the, for that matter, right? Real estate investing or whatever, yeah. you just got some money sitting, you make deals that you wouldn't normally make if it wasn't your money or you knew that, you know, you don't have access to unlimited capital. So it will only be a certain amount of money that I'd be willing to take that for, for me to avoid making, you know, deals that I wouldn't make if I didn't have access to the funds, yeah. if that makes sense. Well, and it's also a limited opportunity too, because like you, you don't want to take on more than you can handle and you're only allowing a certain number of clients to come in. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you get this question a lot, I'm sure. How do you tell if it's a replica or a fake or a real one? Just for me, me personally, for me, handling the watches on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of knowing what the things look for in every single watch that, that comes across my desk, that's one level, that's one safety measure. And then in addition to that, if I'm buying somebody who's not a reputable dealer, we have we take it to the watchmaker and we open up the watch and make sure that everything is legit, right? So the original parts and all that and everything, that's one. That's another safety measure. And then lastly, which is more, more importantly, the jury business is, is a real, is one of the few businesses that a handshake or my word and my reputation is worth more than the actual business. Yeah. Meaning that if I sell you a fake watch, amongst the community, I can get blacklisted out of the group of 15, 20,000 actual dealers that operate at this level that I'm at right now. And if I do a bad transaction, we are in a bunch of groups and a bunch of, you know, like dealer chats and all that kind of stuff. So if somebody says, Brian sold me a fake watch and I don't fix it immediately, then my reputation is bad and nobody else would do a transaction with me. And so, you're done after that. You're done. Yeah, you're done. One bad, one bad deal yeah. ruins your your complete reputation. So when you're dealing it with that level, right now, don't get me wrong. It's some, it's sometimes 
sometimes things do slip through the cracks. I personally haven't sold a fake watch, but amongst my contemporaries, there are people who, you know, it goes from dealer to dealer to dealer. And then on a the fourth level of the transaction, so a dealer sells me a watch, then I sell it to another dealer and then that dealer sells it to a retail client. And then they happen to walk into a store to get like a repair or something. And they informed that the watch is not authentic, yeah. right? We can unwind the deal, right? So that client will go back to their dealer. That dealer will go back to me. And then I will go back to the person who originally sold me the watch. So we can unwind and fix the deal. But yeah, so that, there's a lot of safety measures. Like, so you can't do one bad, bad transaction. Don't rectify it and expect to continue in the business. Yeah. So then what about like watches on eBay? Like you got to watch out obviously who you're buying from. Yeah. eBay now has like an authentication process that they send the watch through. So if you make a purchase on eBay and a lot of the sites for this matter, like they put in the safety measures where you send it to a hub, right? And they expect the watch before they release it to the person who bought it to make sure that it's authentic. They have some measures in it. And then again, like if you get the watch and it's not what it was advertised to be, if anything is off, you can send it back in it. And you know, I don't know if you know eBay's reputation, like they'll give you a refund in a minute, right? Or they'll, they'll open up a ticket and they'll fix the situation. So, okay. I mean, even some legit purchases, I don't like to sell on eBay because you can do a hundred percent legit transaction, right? And that person paid with a credit card or they paid through PayPal. I haven't again experienced this because I'm fortunate enough to have a good network of entrepreneurs, athletes, entertainers, and like, I got a huge referral business. So I don't have to go through like the regular channels of selling a watch. And that's why I always caution people who want to get into the watch business who have no network of people they can actually sell watches to. I get a lot of people to say, oh, I want to get in the watch business. And I'm like, okay, the people around you, what kind of watches are they wearing? Like you got to start there. If you don't have a bunch of friends or colleagues, or if you're not in the mastermind, or if you don't have, you know, people at your office or whatever the case may be that actually are looking for watches in that price point that you attend to sell, who are you going to market to? Right. That I think that's almost more important than having access to watches at wholesale pricing, because you can always partner. Like you can call me and say, Brian, I got my buddy wants to buy a watch and I can bring you in on the transaction. So you can have access by as a proxy through me. But if you don't have the guy who's willing to buy the watch, you have no, you're not going to sell any watches. So you can have access to wholesale pricing, but if you don't have a, a retail a client pool, then you won't be able to you know sell watches. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. On the eBay stuff, it's almost like escrow and title insurance on a real estate deal. Like it goes to that hub, they check it out, make sure it's good. And then they release it once they yeah. know it's free yeah. and clear title, if you will. Another thing I don't like about eBay is an active community of people who, who sell replicas on the site is money waters on eBay because you have a big contingent of people that sell fake and replica watches and that's the actual business model. And then you have people who sell real authentic watches and that's their business model, but they on the same platform. So here's another way to say it. People yeah. always come to me and say, can you get me a replica? Or since I'm invested in the jury business, sometimes we do engagement rings and, and chains and all this kind of stuff. They say, can you make me a piece with cubic zirconia or moissanite diamonds? And I'm like, no, like that's like for me personally, I don't like to mix the two, right? I'm never going to sell a fake watch, a replica, because now when I'm selling to a real, somebody who wants a real authentic watch is like, yeah. oh, you sell replica watches as well, right? So that could hurt my reputation. So that's why I don't like a platform like eBay because they in the mix both. And that's why I don't sell. And that's why I don't buy from platforms like eBay. That makes perfect sense, man. All right. So other than buying and selling, like what other services do you guys provide to clients? Like appraisals or like what, what do you guys do other than buy and sell? Yeah. I mean, I think the most important part, we could get all that stuff, appraisals. And like I told you earlier about the buyback program and then like servicing and warranties and all that kind of stuff is always included with a purchase. So like if the watch stopped working for whatever reason, or you go swimming and you leave the crown open, right? Even it could be a water resistant watch, but if you leave the, the crown open, right? And you go in the water, right? You're going to get water in the watch. Like you send it back to me, we'll, we'll repair, we'll get it fixed. Most people buy from me is just from a surety standpoint, like cool, you're going to be safe in this transaction. So you know that if you ever need to bring it back or something happens that I'm going to be here, right? And I'm continue to do business and I'm going to be here for the long haul. And my goal is always to help, help you build a portfolio. If that's, if that's your thing, right? If you want to build a nice collection, 
collection of good time pieces that you know that's going to retain for the most part the value for what you spent and you can exit relatively easy that's like the level of comfort that i give my clients safety security knowing that their money yeah. is safe for sure yeah knowing that the watch is real knowing that your money is safe knowing that you can call me back if anything happens with the watch knowing that you know you can send a friend or a colleague or another family member knowing that i'm gonna take care of them you get a lot i, I get this a lot man so somebody might buy a watch from somebody else from another dealer whatever the case may be say they, they spend twenty thousand on the watch and they call me i'm dealing with it right now like i'm going back and forth with the guy right now and they call me and they say hey i spent 20 in this watch i want to i want to do business with you i want to sell this one what can you give give this to me for i mean what can you buy this what can you purchase this watch for and i say look the dealer that sold it to you you spent 20 grand on it i could have got you the same watch for sixteen thousand. so i can go out to the marketplace and get this watch for fourteen thousand. so wow. i can't pay you what you spent with that dealer because i can make a call and get the watch for fourteen thousand. now that is what i see on a day-to-day -day basis and most of these dealers are like fly by night they just they just transactional they just want to do a transaction and make as much make as much money as possible from you and then move on to the next client and that's why that trade-in program that buyback program that i offer is, is like unique in the marketplace because i'm not in it for just doing one deal and just hoping i never see you again or you never want to sell a watch back to me i want to give it to you at a price obviously we want to make a profit right because i got to keep the lights on over here but yeah. at the same time i want to give you the price and again i want to give you the savings and give you you know that comfortability knowing that you're making a, a good purchase and you got it at a, at a really good price that makes great sense too because like you're creating a lifetime relationship rather than a one and done transaction and i mean in business it's extremely important to always create relationships and know that those relationships are going to carry both sides for years to come 100 all right what are some common mistakes that people use or happen to to stumble into when they're buying and selling watches from a consumer standpoint yeah that's one of one of the big ones there is like you buying from a, a dealer that you don't intend to do business with or you're not shopping and trying to find like what's the best pricing on terms not even pricing value and just surety in the transaction right so that's one like buying and, and not knowing how you can lose on that transaction that one simple thing that dealer could have did for them and say look like what i do is you buying this for twenty thousand. if you try to bring this back to me so let me step let me take a step back rolexes automobagay and patek philippe's and richard mills are, are like the four top end watches where you get i, I get the most activity so okay. that's different from some other dealers like they might deal with just you know like dress watches and casual watches and stuff like that those are the four brands that i tend to do most transactions in some sometimes i get people that want panera which is another popular model brightland um you would know like a, a tag hoya hublot is another one yeah, so sometimes i've heard of yeah sometimes that client has an affinity with that brand hublot and that's aesthetically that's the watch that they want like even though i advise them to say look hey you want to spend 20 grand on this watch and if you bring it back to me hublot's trade at 50 percent off of retail wow so if i if i sell you a brand new hublot for twenty thousand dollars i'm gonna let you know before you you go ahead and send the wire like yeah. you're gonna buy this for 20 and if as soon as you walk out my door in my office and you turn back around, you try to sell this to me, the price for this watch is $10,000. So as long as you're comfortable with that and you're aware of the downside in that purchase, we can do the transaction. But I get to sleep better at night knowing that I explained to you Sure. Buying certain watches at certain price points. Yeah. This is the return that you're going to get. Or if you need to exit this watch, this is where you're going to be in terms of pricing. Most people don't have that conversation with the person who sold them the watch. Or you wow. walk into a Hublot boutique, right? And you buy a watch for 20 grand and everything is good. And then when yeah. you try to sell it to a guy like me, first of all, Hublot is never going to buy that watch back from you on a resale market, right? You buy it from them and that's it. Like they, they never buying it back. Wow. Second, when you take it to the marketplace and you try to sell that watch, you can't get offended when a dealer like myself offers you $10,000 for that watch, right? Because they don't 
don't trade well. They don't they don't do well in the, in the from retail to gray market pricing. Now, if you bought that watch for eleven thousand in the gray market, right? You know that your that your potential downside is a thousand bucks. I'm gonna lose ten ten percent on the purchase. That's a mistake that most people do. They walk into these boutiques, Breitling, a Tag, Hublot, Cartier, and they buy a watch directly from the, yeah. the authorized dealer. Yeah. And then when they come back and they want to sell it, they don't get what they expected that they was gonna get. That's one of the biggest ones that I see. Huge man. I mean that's huge because like yeah. you know you see those things advertised all over, right? Tag Heuer and Breitling and Hublot. Like I see those all over different like race car events, motorcycle things. Like that's like a big thing that they do. And, and I never knew that. I never knew that those uh, manufacturers or those authorized dealers would never buy those back. Like no. you can't, you go to a Ferrari dealership and you buy a car, they're always going to buy that Ferrari back. Always, no matter, yeah. maybe not always, but they will buy the Ferrari back. No, they're going to buy it back, but it's different when, when you're giving them a buyback price and tell them exactly where you're going to be in it. Well, not exactly, but in the range of where you're going to be in terms of buyback pricing. I know Ferrari's launching a program now where they sell you like a SF90, whatever the case may be. You have to sell it back to them or you'll never get another invitation to, to purchase something else from them again, right? And a yeah. lot of dealers are doing that. Porsche is, is doing that now. So you buy a Turbo S, right? Through the dealership and they get first right of refusal. First right of refusal. I don't know if they go to the extent of putting it in an in an actual purchase agreement now, Ferrari does, I believe. If, I if you sell it on the open market, even though you can make whatever, 50, 60,000, they say they want first right of refusal. They want to buy it back from you in order for you to get anything else that, that rolls out. Wow. Um, I didn't know that was happening. That's... Yeah. I mean, it's almost the same thing with Rolex. Like if you walk into a Rolex dealer and here's another common myth about Rolex. Like you could walk in and buy any Rolex from retail and then it's immediately worth more than what you paid for it. It's not true. There's certain models that you can get, you know, 20, 20,000, 30,000 more than what you paid for as soon as you go through the AD, but it's less models than it is that if you buy for retail that you won't make any money if not lose a couple thousand dollars so that's a misconception in the myth that's really crazy right now i get people call me all the time like hey i just got offered such and such watch you know an explorer from my rolex ad and it's like all right it's an eight thousand dollar watch and they say i want to sell it to you for eleven thousand and i'm like no that's that's not how that works like that's not one of the watches that you yeah. be able to make money on sure that makes perfect sense right because that's yeah. the same thing in the exotic car market right like a regular porsche 911 that thing's just going to keep on depreciating it doesn't matter but when you get to like a gt3 rs a gtr yeah or even be, a, even turbo s right like yeah even so. turbo s yeah even a turbo yep. s but like a, a for example a gt3 rs that's got a sticker price of two hundred they they're they're trading at 400 right now 375 to 400 000 if you can get your hands on it yeah so same principle there you don't buy the entry-level model and expect it to appreciate exactly yeah, that's interesting stuff man well all the more reason why people should actually like reach out to you for your experience and your knowledge in the industry rather than just trying to listen to the internet about what yeah. and what's not. I always tell like, and I know that, you know, obviously I appreciate that, but even if it's not me, like I even, I help people who who have a, a dealer that's local to them that they more comfortable with. Cause it's like, you know, even though I have nationwide bias, people from California to, you know, Texas to Colorado, whatever, sometimes they just, they know of a couple of jewelers who they've been doing business with and they just want to make sure that they're not getting effed over in terms of pricing. So I'm saying yeah. like, if you're comfortable and you got a relationship and you want a rapport, like you got a rapport already, like you can, like, I just don't want to make sure that you just getting hammered on a purchase price. And I've helped a lot of people save a lot of money by just picking up the phone or shooting me a text message and say, Hey, Brian, like I got an opportunity to buy this for this. Like, what are your thoughts? And I either say one or two things, that's a good price. You should buy it. If that's the watch that you want, or I can get it for this price. And if you want to do it, if you want to do a transaction with me, this is the number where I would be at and I can save you a thousand dollars. But some people is like, nah, Hey, I just wanted to ju just double check. And I'm okay with that. Cause I understand, right? Not everybody is going to want to do business with me or they got an opportunity to do business with somebody else. They just want to price verify, right. And make sure that, you know, they're not overpaying 
beautiful product. Sure. And I think that, you know, that speaks of obviously volumes to like you and all of us, I think that, that do business in the same circles in the same ecosystem. Like we just want to see each other win and we don't want to see people get, you know, messed over or effed over by, by other dealers or other, wherever they are. Right. And we do this yeah. in our businesses as well. Like I will happily get on the phone with somebody for 10 or 15 minutes. And if that saves them from doing a bad deal, well, I mean, that's all we can do. Right. Cause if we're not helping people, then what the hell are we here for? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, awesome. I take the same stance. Like I just, I just want to help. That's it. It doesn't even matter if you do a transaction with me or not. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, tell people how they can get a hold of you and find you. Yeah. The easiest way is really through Instagram, Brian, the broker. You, you can reach me there or Facebook, Brian Johnson. I'll even leave my cell number here. 813-389-0404. And if you're looking for any kind of watch um, at any price point, if I don't have it in inventory, you could easily source it for you and have it to at your doorstep within 48 hours. So I have a, a large network of dealers that I get wholesale pricing and I just give you that, that discount from me negotiating a, you know, a better price for you that you would get you know, in a normal retail environment. And the same thing for jewelry, diamonds, engagement rings and all that kind of stuff. I have a jewelry store in New York City that I have my partners more so in the diamonds and jewelry side of things, but we usually able to beat people prices in that regard as well. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, we didn't even dive into that. So yeah, so if anybody's looking for watches, jewelry, or to invest money into these things without actually having to buy them, Brian's your guy. That's for sure, man. Appreciate you, my man. Yeah, I appreciate you too. Thank you for listening to the Mind Your Own Business podcast with Stephen Sterrick. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and tell all of your friends. 